Thank you, ladies, for blessing our hearts with that song. That's one of the songs they sung at the ladies' retreat in Indiana this past Friday night and, and Saturday, and we're glad everyone had a great time. I guess uh, about 40 ladies were there, and, and uh, I'm hearing amazing reports. The speaker is Kelly Collier, who, whose husband is a director at the Wilds Christian Camp in North Carolina. Kelly's with us this morning and running out the door after the service uh, to get to the airport, but Kelly, thank you for investing your time and sacrificing your time to be with us and minister to our ladies. And the ladies also have another special that they're going to have ready for us in our next communion service, so we're looking forward to that. Please open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, and you do have a sheet, a sermon sheet you were handed when you came in, and that will help us track closely with uh, our study here this Mother's Day. And as you're turning there, I'd like to just take a moment, I don't usually do this right before a sermon, but just to give you a personal prayer request. And uh, the Lord, in his kindness to us, has allowed my wife and me to plan um, a getaway, an anniversary getaway, um, and it, we, we've put it off for nine years. We've started planning three times and three times, twice because of weddings and another time because of COVID. And, uh, but we're, we're going away for our anniversary, and, and I just thank you as a church family for these days we can be away. We're going to be gone um, almost two weeks. I know you, you feel sorry for us. We're going to be in Alaska, and uh, we're going to take a seven-day boat ride to get there, and then a five-day land tour, and we're looking forward to it. And uh, so I just ask you to pray for us for safety, but also just that we would be refreshed. It's a, it's a good time. Good, good timing for us to get some rest, I think, and uh, I will be disconnected um, a lot of this time uh, from the phone and, and the internet, uh, sometimes of necessity, other times because I'm sleeping, um, but uh, you're in great hands here with Pastor Michael and the deacons, and, and deacons are on high alert with their deacon care groups, and the church will continue on without missing a beat. Actually, you'll probably have two fantastic weeks with me out of the country or above the country, right? So I appreciate your prayers for that. Galatians chapter 5, a familiar text this morning, this Mother's Day morning. And as we get ready to get into this text, uh, as we to sink into this text, I want to tell you about something else that sunk once, sunk several miles into the ocean. See, what happened? Well, many years ago, a submarine was being tested, and it had to remain submerged for many hours and even several days. But after the testing, after it came to the surface and came to the harbor, the captain of this particular submarine was asked, how did the terrible storm last night affect you in the sub? And the officer looked at him with great surprise and said, storm? We didn't even know there was one. See, what happened? This submarine had been so far beneath the surface that it had reached the area known to sailors as the cushion of the sea. Although the the ocean may be whipped up into a huge wave and storm by high winds on the surface, the waters below were never even stirred. I love that phrase. That's the cushion of the sea. You know, I think of that story, and I wonder 
if you have recently been hit with any of the following storms. Perhaps it's been waves of conflict between you and someone else. Maybe that's the storm you're in. Or maybe you're being hit with waves of worry over something going on in the present that you, you can't control this one. You can't resolve this one. You can't stop this one. And there's worry. And the waves of worry are crashing on you. Or maybe you are experiencing the storm, the waves of uncertainty over your future. Maybe there's a decision that's being forced on you and, and you're just like, I just can't get my, my arms around this and, and time is passing. I must make a decision. Or worse yet, I have no idea what the future holds and if it's going to be okay. Maybe these are the storms and the waves that you're feeling this morning. But I want to warmly and pastorally push past those waves and expand my wave question just a little bit. Today is Mother's Day. And in some of your hearts just now, whether you're with me in the room or watching online, your heart said, yeah, it's Mother's Day again. You may give space for others to rejoice over moms in motherhood, and there's a grace about you in that. But truth be told, when this date rolls around every year on the calendar, on that Sunday in May, your heart sinks each year, even if you don't tell anyone else. And what's sad for me as a pastor, and I love you, as your pastor, I love you, but as I just work through the aisles and the rows and the, 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 the rolls and I see your faces, and not just yours, but anywhere I've ever pastored, I know that there are many hearts hurting here today, even though there might be a smile and a grace on the face. And what makes me even more sad is that my list of reasons why there's sadness on Mother's Day grows every year. For some, it's a sad day because of infertility. We have to nuance that with the word at present, because we don't know what God's plan is. But this year, again, it stands. There's a desire for children, that God's hand and his kindness somehow is withholding at this point. There's a sadness of singlehood. It's not just a desire for children, but, of course, before that, there's a desire for marriage. Yet, at present... We don't know God's mind. There's singlehood, no marriage, and no motherhood. For some, the sadness comes because of an abusive mom, a toxic memory of years of mom. She was either abusive in the sense of what she abused, and that was substance abuse, or she was abusive in a physical sense, in a spatial sense. Being near her wasn't safe. For some, it's a lost mom. She doesn't know Jesus. She's wandering. And in some cases, mom is still acting like a teenager. There's another word that comes to my mind, abortion. There's great regret and remorse 
but I have to quickly say, and there's been rescue of you. And Christ has filled the emptiness in your life with himself, and he has forgiven choices you've made. But still, when this date comes around on the calendar, there's a deep sigh. Another reason is the complications sometimes that can accompany adoption, perhaps your adoption. Though you found a home and a family that loved you and provided for you, there's always that lingering question, why wasn't I kept? Just a question. Even the Gospel Coalition this morning released an article with this title that Mother's Day for the adopted can get complicated. There's the issue, the, the, the heavy reality of miscarriages and stillborn and even a child's death after birth. What can you say? You can only show up in a life like that and have a ministry of presence and grace. But the reality is there's an empty room in the house, if not always, in your heart. And then you have the issue of prodigals, teens or adult children who have not only rejected the faith, but they have reacted against it and are running as fast as they can to make up for lost time. Add to that special needs, which isn't the script you anticipated earlier in life, but nonetheless, it does elicit, I believe, an exalted love. But there's a fatigue at times. And so we all have to come together on Mother's Day and say, Happy Mother's Day. But if the truth be known, you understand more than so many people what Proverbs means when it says in Proverbs 14.10, the heart knows its own bitterness. Or Proverbs 15, verse 13, when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. Or perhaps Proverbs 18, verse 14, the spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but as for a broken spirit, who can bear that? You understand. If you heard on Mother's Day. So if this is you, you say, I'm pretty low today. Why? Well, I want you to descend yet deeper then. I want you to descend enough into God's provisions in order to escape this annual anxiety. And to even know a deep contentment. I want you this morning to descend to the cushion of the sea, the cushion of the Lord himself. Here's my promise to you. Your Bible is open to Galatians chapter 5 this morning. And one facet of the Spirit's fruit will take you to the cushion of the sea, to the cushion of the Lord. This Mother's Day and every day, and now is where I bring in the men too, every person under the sound of my voice, this Mother's Day and every day, you find God's safe cushion for any storm. You say, what is that cushion? Here it is, you ready? God's perfect peace. That's the cushion of the sea. No matter what's going on on the surface, 
and in your heart. So I'm going to come at this in a real basic manner this morning. You remember your mother's recipe book? Remember that? Just when I mention mom's recipe book, a lot of us have all of our, our senses activated. We remember certain sites of, of cookbooks or, or recipe files. We remember the sound of eggs being broken and blenders spinning. We remember the sweet smell coming out of the oven. Oh, yeah. Mom's recipe book. But it really was simple. The recipe book, had it called for the basic ingredients... But the basic ingredients, if you followed the instructions, ended with remarkable results. I want us to look at the basic ingredients this morning of God's perfect peace on this Mother's Day. I want you to see something you can't forget. I want you to see the specifics. I want you to see the sources. And I want you to see the spheres. First of all, there's some things you you can't forget. Don't ever forget some realities when we come to Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, a text that we call the fruit of the Spirit. There are three critical realities for every item, every word on this list, peace included. What are the realities? Well, first of all, every believer has the Spirit. we got to start there, right? Every believer has the Spirit, See, how do you know that? Well, look back at Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And the, the, the answer to that is, I received the Spirit fully through the hearing with faith. Every believer, every regenerated person has fully the Holy Spirit indwelling him or her. And you see it again in chapter 4, verse 6, across the page. Because you are sons, or sons and daughters, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son, where? Into our hearts. What's the result? We cry out, Abba, Father. So every believer has the Spirit. Paul would put it this way to the believers at Rome, in Romans 8, verse 9. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. Or again, later in Romans chapter 8, it's in verse 14, Paul says, All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Or Paul put it this way when he wrote to the believers at Corinth. He says, what? Don't you know that your body is the temple of what? Of who? The Holy Spirit. So we've got to start with this point. You can never forget this. Every believer has the Spirit. But that quickly moves us to a second reality you can't forget. If every believer has the Spirit, then letter B, every believer, listen, has every fruit in seed form. So what do I say? Where do, we, where do we get this? Well, I want you to look at Galatians 5. And I want you to look at verse 22. The fruit, and I'll say something about that being singular in a moment. The fruit of the Spirit is... And I have, and if you're a believer, you have every last one of these, at least in seed form, because you have the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. It's interesting to contrast this list with the list that began in verse 19. Those are known as, in verse 19, the deeds of the flesh. Deeds there uh, is plural, and it means the flesh, the unsaved person's heart, can spray off in all different directions. And he says, here's a list to get you started. But it's not an exhaustive list, because he gets to the end of verse 21, and he says, and stuff like these. If you practice uh, such things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You're not, you're not a believer. But, and then he says, singular, the fruit of the Spirit. The deeds of the flesh fly out in every direction, away from God. But when someone is regenerated, he corrals it all and puts it on one trajectory. It's a singular trajectory of a fruitful Christian. These aren't the fruits of the Spirit, technically. It's the fruit of the Spirit. I'm using this wording in letter B uh, just to break out the separate aspects of the one fruit of the Spirit. But every believer has every fruit in seed form. You know what that means? For those of us who are believers, before we even read verses 22 and 23, we know we can't go into those two verses and say to any one of the manifestations of the Spirit's fruit, we can't say about any single one of them, I can't. You can, and you must, because you have the Holy Spirit. And you have every manifestation in seed form. You say, but you don't know my personality. You don't know my, my past. You don't know the pressure I'm under or the pain I endure. And you're like, well, maybe you got a point there. I don't. I don't know the extent of your pain. But I do know that you are indwelt by the Spirit, and the Spirit has brought with them all this. In seed form. It's already in you. In the person of the Spirit of Christ. I remember when I was in Winston-Salem pastoring. And uh, guys often come out of the military and go to Bible college for Bible training. And there was a Marine that was in our church there in Winston-Salem. And he had come to attend Piedmont Baptist Bible College. Its name's changed now. And, uh, and he just had an edge to him. He just had an edge, and he'd sit back and wait for everyone else to fail and then, then explode on them and criti- criticize them to others. And, and he, he was a single guy in the church, and you might be able to understand that. But he came in once, and, and, he, and he wanted help with, why, why, why can't I do well with my relationships? I'm like, I'm glad you asked. And... Uh, uh, and, and, and I took him to this passage. And I said, let's go through these two verses. Let's do a little inventory. How, are, how would your, your family and your friends say you're doing on these? And we read through them, and he says, yeah, not, not really well on many of them. Maybe the self-control one as a Marine. He kept telling me he was a Marine. I was like, why don't you just wear a T-shirt? And then I don't have, you don't keep saying it. I'll keep reading it. He's always saying, I'm a Marine, I'm a Marine, I'm a Marine. I'm like, oh, that's, that's good. I said, but you know what? You're a Marine that has a Holy Spirit in you. And every last manifestation of the Spirit's fruit is not just a possibility with you, it's a mandate. If the Spirit of God indwells you. So you can't forget this. 
You can't forget that every believer has the Spirit. You can't forget that every believer, therefore, has every fruit in seed form. But there's a third thing you can't forget, and it's this. Every believer, therefore, has an obligation when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. Every believer has an obligation to know them, grow them, and show them. No exception. As a matter of fact, it's interesting to note that every facet of the Spirit's fruit in verses 22 and 23, without exception, listen, is given as a command elsewhere in the New Testament to believers. Every last one of them. (laughs) My mind goes to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? It means let what's true on the inside, and I I would supplement that with theology and say that's the Spirit, that's Christ himself, Work what's on the inside out into your life. And that's where verse uh, 13 of Philippians 2 says, For it's, it's God who works in you, both to do and to will of his good pleasure. You can't forget these things. So what I want to do with these reminders in place, let's jump in and begin our knowing so we can get on with our growing and our showing this facet of the Spirit's fruit, even this Mother's Day. I want to direct your attention specifically to verse 22 and to one word. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and here's our word this morning, peace. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. So let me give you some specifics about this peace. A little bit of systematic theology for you this morning. A couple statements. First of all, This word peace has a very respectable presence. It does. A very respectable presence. See, what do I mean by that? This particular Greek word is used over 80 80 times in the New Testament. Furthermore, in the New Testament, this word for peace appears in every New Testament book and letter. Every one of them. It's everywhere. As a matter of fact, to push it a little further, this word for peace is used 25 times in either a letter's introduction or conclusion in the New Testament. 25 times. I mean, it's everywhere. You're bumping into it all the time. I remember when I was a new freshman at college. You know, you can tell the freshmen when they show up at at the college, at the university, they're, they're barely out of youth group, they're they're barely 18 maybe, but they want to walk around like they've been there for years. They already know everything. It's probably a waste to come to college, you know. And here I am doing that as a freshman in my first few weeks of class, just trying to remember where the cafeteria is, where the classroom is, what my major is, and keep track of the three people out of the over 4,000 students that I know. I was just trying to survive. But I, I, I kept bumping into, the, into this guy named Carl. I bumped into Carl. He's a blonde-haired guy, a freshman. And, uh, and, 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 and I bumped into him in registration, freshman registration for classes. I'm like, oh, hey, you know, we started seeing each other. And he would recognize me, too. I'd recognize him. And then I'd bump into him at, at a society meeting, an intramural meeting. I'd bump into him at the bookstore buying our books for our freshman classes Come to find out we're in the same major. So I'm bumping into him in more and more classes, including my very first day of the very first class 
my freshman year is personal evangelism. Guess who? I'm on the front row on the aisle. Guess who's across the aisle from me? Carl. Well, man, this only had to happen for a few weeks, and I'm like, you know what? I keep bumping into this guy. I, I want to introduce myself to him. I want to get to know him. And he had been noticing the same thing, so it was in personal evangelism class, reached across the aisle, introduced myself to someone who would become a dear friend and still is today. I saw Carl in February at a conference. He was a great friend through college. You know, if you're bumping into a word like this, like peace, this often in the New Testament, you know what? You might as well just look into it. Because this is something that's high on the priority of your Heavenly Father for you. I think you'll find a best friend. It has a respectable presence, but something else about peace. You understand this, that peace is a kingdom characteristic. You understand that? Those of you who are saved, you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus alone for eternal life. You're part of a kingdom that's growing right now. Eventually, it's going to be a thousand-year kingdom on earth in the future, but there's a king right now, and he's rescuing people, making them his subjects so he can be lord over them. And, and, and this thing's growing. And when the New Testament authors describe what you're part of, they use this word peace. For example, Romans 14, 17 says, The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, 15, that he, God, has called us, believers, to peace. And again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. This is a kingdom characteristic. When our high school soccer team, men's soccer team, won the state championship three years in a row, every member of that soccer team was wearing the same uniform and received the same ring. We had rings made. Yes, we did. But there were, amongst the equals of teammates, there were those who had incredible traits and skill on the soccer field. Their ring looked just like our ring, but they just stood out. So let me tell you something. For those in the body of Christ, there is an equality. The, le- the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And we're all just going to go to the same heaven and be with the same Lord for all eternity. But there's, there's a class of Christians that have tapped into something that makes them stand out. And I believe it's this peace. This cushion of the sea. Well, thirdly, something else about peace As I mentioned earlier, it is a clear command. This thing of peace is a clear command. Say, what do you mean? Hebrews 12, 14, it says, pursue peace with all men. There it is. This word pursue is dioko. It means, it it actually can mean persecute. Persecute peace with all men. No, it's the idea of following after so hard in order to, to, to embrace. It's got to be mine. I must have it. That's the weight of Hebrews 12, 14. Or Peter, 
we're getting to know Peter well in our normal series on Sunday mornings. Peter says this in 1 Peter 3.11, seek peace and pursue it. He uses the same word for pursue, but he adds one, seek. And this is from the word where we get the word zealous. Zeteo. I mean, you, you're seeking for this. It's not like just waiting for it to pass you by and stumble upon this peace. No, this is something you must have. It is a clear command. So I think we're ready for the last statement here. It has a simple meaning. Let's get the meaning nailed down now. This particular Greek word, erinē, has several ways to describe it. One commentator named William Hendrickson defines it this way. It's, it's serenity of heart. I like that. Serenity of heart. Jerry Bridges, he's loved around here, he describes it with these words, the absence of turmoil, and the intention is, no matter what's going on in your life, there's an absence of turmoil. I like that. John MacArthur, I think, presses in for a good definition here. He calls this simply the tranquility of mind. The tranquility of mind. So I want to give you a definition. This is kind of my definition that I've settled in on for this particular word, peace. It's a restful state of well-being. A restful state of well-being. I'm going to try to illustrate that with two different pictures for you. When there's a storm on the outside, there's a sunset on the inside. Does that work for you? Or let's go back to our submarine illustration. Though there's raging above, there's a cushion beneath. That's peace. Peace is not chained to what's going on in your life. It supersedes it. Look at it this way. If you're tracking so far with these notes, with the trajectory we're on, listen to this. If peace is everywhere in the New Testament, if peace is a kingdom description, if peace is a command, listen to this, then God's will for you doesn't end with your storm. God's will for you ends with his cushion. Or you could look at it this way. Peace, peace doesn't ignore the storm. Peace acknowledges the storm and owns it and thrives in it. It's a real possibility. You say, my goodness. That's nice. Where in the world can I experience just five minutes of that? I mean, you don't know what I'm going through, whether it's the Mother's Day struggles or whether it is something else going on in your life. Where can I get that? That's going to require strong arms, not merely pithy statements. And you're right. That's why I want to draw your attention to the source of peace. I think you'll find strong arms here. 
What's the source of the peace that God prescribes and provides? You know these. First of all, letter A, it's from the Father. From the Father. Listen to Colossians 1 verse 2. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, listen to this, grace to you and peace from God the Father. What's the source? It's God the Father. Paul won't use the word peace in 2 Corinthians 1.3, but he gives two titles that just scream the author of peace. He refers to the Father as the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts. Yes, it comes from the Father. Romans 1.7, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Or listen to the benediction in Romans 15.13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, period. So where does this peace come from? It needs to be strong arms. Well, we're starting out pretty strong. God the Father. It comes from the Father, but secondly, it it comes to the believer from the Father because of the Son. Because of the Son. I do want to take you uh, away from Galatians 5 for a moment. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. You say, well, how, how amazing, how forceful is this wonderful peace? Let me tell you something. It's so commanding that it can take a Jew and a Gentile and bring them together and rub out the distinctions. Make them one. That's what Paul's writing about in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Follow along at ver- beginning at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that he himself might make the two, Jew and Gentile, into one new man, thus establishing peace. And he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enemy, the enmity. That's it. He came And he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. This this peace comes from the Father because of the Son. Paul says in Romans 5.1, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's through Christ. So when Jesus stands before his disciples in the upper room, again, hours before his betrayal, and he says these words in John 14, 27, he means them. He said to his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. So what's the source of this peace? Are the arms strong enough for you yet? This peace comes from the Father. This peace comes from through the Son, because of the Son, 
And finally, it comes through the Spirit. In the great chapter on the Holy Spirit, in Romans chapter 8, and verse 6, Paul writes, The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and, guess what? Peace. And again, Paul writes in Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with this joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy, the Holy Spirit. So this peace, you want to know where it comes from. You, you asked, here's the answer. It comes to you from the Father, because of the Son, and through the Spirit. You think they're up to the heavy lifting of getting you through your storm? You say, well, what are we saying here? Peace where? In what area? And, that, and this is where I want to end. Let's talk about the spheres of peace. Pastor Michael eloquently prayed through these in the same order I'm going to give them to you. And we didn't plan this. First of all, there's peace with God. Peace with God. You say, what are we talking here? When we say peace with God, we are talking sonship. We are talking reconciliation. And remember what we've been learning from 1 Peter chapter 1. This all initiated in the Father. We didn't go to Him. He came for us, having loved us in eternity past. This is the big question before every human. Are you reconciled to God? Do you have peace with God? Are you His child? And someone might ask, well, how do we enter this peace with God? And the answer is this, accept Jesus Christ on His terms. If we confess Jesus as Lord, Paul writes in Romans, and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, guess what? We'll be saved. We'll be reconciled. Because the Father made Him, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's the gospel. Have you accepted that? It's easy for us to blame our distractions and our storms as the reasons why we don't come to Christ. And it's like, I want everything to get right in my life, everything to get peaceful, everything to get easy, and then I'll think about having warm thoughts towards religion. You're missing it. The storms, listen, of your life, get this, are are designed in love to drive you to the source of peace himself, Jesus Christ. You place your faith in him, acknowledge your sin, confess, and receive his free gift of eternal life, then what what is prescribed in John 1.12 will happen in your life. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right, the authority, to become a child of God, even to them that believe on his name. Have you done that? Come to him this morning. Pray with him in these moments. That's peace with God. Or as Paul put it in Colossians 1, 19 and 20, it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, in Jesus, and through him, listen, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Yes, there are storms in your life. Guess what? Creation is broken because of sin. 
looking for a morbid justification for your indulgences in this life because of the pressures on you, because of the storms, is a vain pursuit. You're going everywhere but to the one who has the true cushion of peace. This so explains substance abuse, doesn't it? People are looking for a Messiah. This explains escapism and extremism, doesn't it? Because they go and go and go and indulge and indulge and indulge and yet continue to have to press further and darker because they're never satisfied. The buzz always wears off and the storm's still here. The storm ultimately is sin. Come to your Savior. That's peace with God. But secondly, when we talk about this peace, we're also talking about peace with others. Several years ago, I would even say several, a couple decades ago, a former president of the Norwegian Academy of Sciences, I don't have a name for you, I have his title, was on a committee with historians from England, Egypt, Germany, and India. And he did some historical research, and these were the results of that research. Since 3600 B.C., the world has known only 292 years of peace. During this period, there have been 14,351 wars, large and small, in which 3.64 billion people have been killed. And the value of the property destroyed would pay for a golden belt around the world, 97.2 miles wide and 33 feet thick. And that's a couple decades old. We have a problem with peace in our world. It's a struggle because you have fallen people and fallen nations can't get along with fallen people and fallen nations. The problem is when there's a problem with peace, a struggle with peace between believers. You see, what are we talking about here? We are talking relationships. You say, well, how do I get this? How do I start experiencing this peace we've been talking about in my relationships? And I would say you didn't ask the full question. The full question should be this. How do you enter into this full peace in every relationship in your life, listen, without exception? And the answer is this. To obey Christ in this world. It's on you. Because you're on that scene and you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You say, well, so is the other person. Who's supposed to answer for you, though? You don't answer for the other person. Paul's going to put it this way in Romans 12, 18. Listen to this. As much as it lies with you, be at peace with all men. He's writing to a church full of Christians. Colossians 3, 15, written to a church, says, Let the peace of Christ rule or umpire in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. This is a defining Word for the relationship between believers and from believers facing the unsaved world. So much so that James, our Lord's little brother, who wrote his epistle of James, says in James chapter 3, verse 17, that peaceableness, peacefulness, is a mark of a wisdom that's from heaven. 
Our Lord himself said in Mark 9.50, Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. You know, you think of, just look at the Lord's disciples following him on the dusty road, kicking up dust and arguing about greatness and picking bread and fish out of their teeth. And you got Simon the Zealot hanging out with Matthew the tax collector, who any other time, in any other setting, Simon the Zealot would take Matthew's life without a moment's hesitation or guilt. Because here's a Jew who sold out his countrymen to extort taxes for the Gentile Roman kingdom. Simon had trained to kill those guys. But what did the peace of the gospel do? Brought them together, laced them real tightly together. Hmm. I think of a, a Navy couple who came into our office for counseling with me and Lori in Virginia Beach, and they couldn't even look at each other. They couldn't even talk to each other. And she, uh, she had had to learn to survive while he was always deployed, and he had learned to let her control everything even when he came home because he was tired of controlling Stuff that they were doing in the military and, and their, their troops and stuff and come and sit down in the office. They can't even look at each other. But after just one or two weeks of, of, of meeting and, 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 and hearing Scripture and going home and doing Scripture and their mind is in the book and the Holy Spirit's working through the Word even when they're not in our sessions. I'll never forget what I saw. And Lori was in the room with me. Uh, that session we opened in prayer and I said, I want to start with checking the homework. You always do that. And then the guy stood up. And I'm like, oh boy, do I got to fight him? <laughs> Is he mad? I don't want to fight him. He knows stuff that I don't know. And the guy stood up, big Navy guy, and fell on his knees right in the office. And he, serious, true story, no hype. He walked on his knees over to his wife's chair and grabbed her hands and started weeping and said, will you forgive me? I'm not going to blame you anymore. This is on me. And there were tears all over the room. How do you explain that? There's only one explanation. It's the peace that God gives that can reconcile with others. You say, yeah, okay. But today's Mother's Day. And my struggle behind this smile or behind these tears is in my heart. It's in my heart. And that's the third area. Peace with self. See, so what are we talking here for this one? We are talking discipleship. We are talking sanctification. Growing. You say, well, how do I enter into that? I'd like to know because this day comes around every year. How do we enter into it? And the answer is simply petition Christ for his help. Ask them. So my question is, when you pray for this kind of peace from the depths of your hurt, listen, are you praying in the will of the Father? Yes. Are you praying in the name of Jesus? Yes. Will he answer this prayer? Yes. It's like every other opportunity to grow in the Christian life. It's one step at a time 
You don't get it all in one bulk delivery at the door from Amazon. It's one step at a time. It's one day at a time. And you start all over the next day, just like I have to. It's one storm at a time. It's one Mother's Day at a time. 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face beholding our Lord's glory in a mirror are being transformed to the same glory. From glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Suddenly, our storms, certain calendar dates become our opportunity to grow in a peace that we can call the safe cushion of God. You know, we talk about the Lord's Prayer, and we're studying this on Wednesday nights in our Bible study, by the way. You're welcome to join us. But maybe we should have, make the Lord's Prayer and, and, and insert the themes of peace. Lord, Father, Father, I need my safest parent to hear me right now. The one that took the initiative in eternity past and put a plan of redemption in place that had my name on it. Father, the one who brought me to life, gave me life, and for some reason seeks his pleasure in my being with him in Christ for all eternity. Father, I just want you to know as I'm hurting again at this time of the year, on this day, or whatever your storm may be, Father, hallowed be your name. I trust everything about you your perfections, your glory, your will. And I want nothing more than your kingdom to unfold with full beauty in my life. Give me today what I need. And I need your peace. And I just need the, enough peace to get me to the pillow tonight. And I'll pray for some more tomorrow. Give me today my daily peace. And help me to remember that above everything, I... I'm a redeemed person, a forgiven person, so help me as I interact with other people to be one of, that's bent towards forgiveness and grace with others. And Lord, don't let me, don't let me be tested. I, I know I will, and it's not that I don't trust you. I don't trust my own heart. That's why I'm crying out for peace. But Lord, today, would you also just please keep me from the evil one because he knows where to poke Petition Christ for his help. Charles Wesley, the hymn writer, said, I rest beneath the Almighty's shade. My griefs expire, my troubles cease. Thou, Lord, on whom my soul is stayed, wilt keep me still in perfect peace. If you're in a storm, all of us, men or women, whatever your age. Or perhaps, let me isolate it even more, in addition to just a general congregation. If Mother's Day is a source of great sorrow and anxiety for you for all those reasons I mentioned at the beginning, you can know a deep contentment this year. And there's a lot of today left. You can find God's safe cushion for your storm. It's his perfect peace. 
I opened our service with these words in the upper room. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Do you believe that? Well, the psalm writer puts it this way. Listen to this. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Yahweh, make me to dwell in safety. Sounds like the cushion of the sea. And I only have to read a little bit into Isaiah 9, 6, and we're like, oh, that's right. That's right. One of his four names, one of Christ's four names in Isaiah 9, 6, he's the prince of what? Of peace. Of peace. So I don't say this flippantly at all. Hopefully you've seen my pastoral heart this morning. I don't say this flippantly at all. I, I, I really mean this. Happy Mother's Day. I say that not only to our mothers, but to our hurting. We love you. Come to the cushion of the sea, the cushion of the Lord, his perfect peace. Father, thank you for this opportunity to consider this one beautiful word this one beautiful facet of the Spirit's fruit. We thank you that we have the Spirit. We have this peace in seed form at least. But we must know this fruit. We must show it, grow it by your grace. Thank you for the occasion of this Mother's Day for that purpose. And I pray for those who have yet to be reconciled with you and to have the peace of God in relationship, I pray that you will open their eyes, give them faith and repentance right now. As we sing this final song, may they cry out to you for salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You stand and sing with us.
just two reminders for you as you walk out the door this morning, a couple of calendar items. Uh, there is a church work day this Saturday, May 20th, starting at 9 a.m. You can uh, sign up to get placed on one of those four work teams that will be doing some cleaning and other simple maintenance things that day. It goes from 9 a.m. to noon, so just three hours. And uh, as I said, you can sign up for that at the Information Center. We'd love to have you. And in a few weeks on Sunday, we're going to have a church-wide grace gathering. The date for that is June 4th. We'll start uh, right at noon, right after the morning service, and there will be no evening service. Uh, details will be communicated later, but it will be here on campus. The entire church is invited, and uh, you sign up for that as well at the Information Center, and that sign-up sheet will tell you whether to bring a side or a dessert. Um, that is, that is all I have for you by way of announcements, so I will leave you with uh, some words that the Apostle Paul used to close the book of Second Thessalonians. He said, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Thank you. You are dismissed.